are kicking off a brand new series today, okay? It's a brand new kind of introduction to, the, to a concept or to a conversation over the next several weeks, and we just wanted to call it messy, all right? We're going to be talking about kind of the messiness, if you will, of what our faith looks like and how it's played out and sort of the messiness of grace, not because grace is messy, but because on our side of the equation, we're messy. And so we have a mess that we bring to God, and that's what God has to, uh, he has a plan for that mess, and so we have to deal with our messy. Uh, also dealing with each other's mess, uh, that can get challenging as well. And then what does it look like to go into the mess? Like what does it look like to really serve and, and, and love others in the messy uh, of our lives? And so that's what we're going to be talking about in this series over the next several weeks. Today I just wanted to start it this way, and I wanted to talk about the place of revival, the place of revival. Um, I don't know if you know this, but we're about day 18 into uh, what's called right now an Asbury uh, Awakening or uh, Asbury College Revival. They, they've had several in their past. Uh, matter of fact, there's one in the 70s that are pr- pretty popular, uh, but they're on like day 18. And it's a really amazing, beautiful worship moment where students are uh, coming together. And it started with a confession. It started with people confessing sin. It actually started with a student, student a college student, confessing um, the attempt of suicide and, um, and just sharing their failures. And then it followed up with a testimony and a confession of a student talking about their addiction. And then it followed up with students talking about hurt and pain and loneliness and COVID. And I mean, it's just been confession after confession after confession. Um, and it's been really amazing to watch them worship. And hopefully, you've, again, you've tuned into some of this uh, before today. If you haven't, please look it up. Um, but I wanted to make sure we talked about really the place of revival, because no matter whether you're talking about kind of this current thing in Asbury, you can look back at church history, the first, second, third, Great Awakening, and, you know, all the different revivals that we've had, Brownsville and Welch, and, you know, those kind of revivals. Like, we've had some really great revivals in the history of Christianity. Um, but the place of revival uh, is not necessarily a location. Okay, I just want to make sure you hear that. Like, Place of revival isn't necessarily location in which a revival is happening, but it, there is a place of revival, and, and that usually doesn't have to do with stained glass windows again, or church, or college campuses. It has to do with the heart, and, and it really has to do with the place where holiness and mercy and the unfailing love of God sort of collides with sinful man, the, the dead, guilty, helpless human nature, right? And, 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 and a revival is when that, those things collide, and a revival is what happens when those things collide because God has a beautiful plan. God has a beautiful way of, of that collision course um, coming out on the other side of what, what we call grace in terms of God. And it's, and it's beautiful. And many people, again, you may not have heard of some of the revivals that have happened, but revivals are happening all the time, everywhere, and usually some of the darkest, um, messiest, uh, stinkiest, so to speak, you know, places in life, right? Matter of fact, the one I'm going to talk about this morning that I, I go, love going back to is called the Garbage Dump Revival. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one before. It's called the Garbage Dump Revival. And just to let you know, in case you've never been to an actual dump before, the, the uh, North Mecklenburg Recycling Center is not it. All right, just want you to know, that is our suburban sanitized version of, of a dump. It's not really a dump. We're talking about a, a, a pit of rotting, decaying, 
trash and, you know, and, and everything, and it's like a landfill, right? Like that's what the dump actually is. And this garbage dump revival, again, I call it this because of the perspective of the person we're talking about who experienced an incredible revival in their heart that day in the garbage dump just outside of Jerusalem. And I don't know if you knew this or not, but that's, that section of town, that section of, of Jerusalem is where they chose to crucify people, was in the dump. It was in the place of rot and decay and mess and stink and stench. And many versions talk about the, the weeping and gnashing of teeth and the bugs and things like that because of what the dump actually represented. And it had open graves, if you will, mass graves of the crucifixions and the death that they would, they would just toss, you know, once the bodies were dead, they just tossed them in. And out in this dump, this garbage dump revival, there was, there was a thief, a convicted murderer, at least a convicted felon as far as we can tell, but usually it was a thief or a murderer, as we talked about them being thieves, but um, he was a convicted felon for sure, and he had the good fortune, and that's going to be weird to say, he had the good fortune of having, of having him be executed about five or six feet from the Son of God that day. He just happened to have the good fortune to be executed on the same day that Jesus was crucified. And, there, and we're told by Luke, who did all the you know, uh, uh, interviews and, and those things, he said, you know, there were, there, were, there were two thieves hanging beside Jesus and two criminals. And he said that one of them kind of mocked it, kind of like, you know, Jesus, if you're so powerful, if, people, if you are who people say you are, like, get yourself down and free us too. Like, that's kind of the idea. He was a little bit mocking and like, hey, man, now's the time. Go to town. And the other thief, the one we're talking about right now, like this, the thief who experienced this revival, he basically said, guys, you know, look, we are, we are guilty and we deserve what's happening to us. But this guy doesn't. He recognized Jesus. I don't know if he recognized Jesus in his fullness. I just know that he recognized Jesus enough that Jesus was an innocent man and that he recognized him by saying, Lord by addressing him as Lord, and said, Lord, would you remember me when you go to your kingdom and when you set up your kingdom? And, and I'm telling you, better than any answer he gave anybody the entire time he was doing ministry, the best answer he gave anyone was in that moment when he said, hey, guess what? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Today. Isn't that amazing? That's the garbage dump revival. I don't know if you guys have heard about it or not, but it's amazing. Right? That's a garbage dump revival. He didn't know the significance of what was happening on the cross. He didn't know the significance of that Jesus was going to go and descend into death and have conquered death, hell, and the grave and be rose, you know, raised again on the third day. He didn't have a picture of any of that. He just in that moment recognized Jesus as being innocent and Lord and said, would you, would you remember me if you're the Messiah? Would you remember me when you set up your kingdom? And Jesus said, yes. Right there in the in the worst place imaginable, there was a revival. And that's kind of where I want to talk about today is that revival, the place of revival is that, that messy place for us. And it's a place that we kind of come back to consistently as followers of Christ that we sort of need reviving, if you will. If we don't have the right perspective, if we don't have the right position in our hearts of who we are in Christ, oftentimes we can be praying for revival or wanting more of a revival in our life and really not experiencing it. 
So let's talk a little bit about this collision. Let's talk about a little bit about this, this, this grace that comes from this collision of God, holy, merciful God, and sinful, dead, helpless man. We're going to look at Ephesians 2. First, first thing we're going to look at today is Ephesians 2. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to grace you guys with a drawing. Um, I don't do this very often, and I'm an amazing artist, just to let you know up front. Um, but I'm going to give you a little bit of a visual that was given to me years ago. I mean, we're talking probably 20 plus years ago. That to me was really helpful. And again, I'm hoping this is going to be helpful for you, especially when you read Scripture, especially when you're reading <coughs> Scripture and the Word of God, that you have the right mindset, that you have the right position and mindset in your heart and life. This is Ephesians 2. This is Paul to the church. He says, as for you, talking to the church, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead because of the behavior, because of your life, because of your transgressions, and because of sin, because of just the nature and state of sin. And there are two ways to, to, that I see people kind of view death in this light. So here's an ocean, just if you can't tell, that's an ocean, all right? And, you know, here's a, here's a raft or a flotation device of some sort, and there's a guy, you know, sad because he's lost and helpless and basically like almost dead or, you know, left for dead, or to quote one of my favorite movies, mostly dead, right? Princess Bride. And a lot of people view Scripture, when Scripture talks about we were dead or we were this or we were that, we kind of default a little bit to this view, that we were helpless, yes, but we were still kind of moving along. We were, we were, we were dead, yes, but we were only mostly dead and slightly alive. Does that make sense? Like that tends to be a little bit of the view uh, by a lot of people in terms of Christianity. Now, the reality of Paul's words and the reality of what you read in Scripture is that's not the case at all. If you could imagine this being the very bottom of the ocean itself, the, the bottom of the, what's that trench that, uh, that's the deepest trench? Yeah, the Mary, like, imagine this being the bottom of the furthest trench that nobody's even gone down in yet because we just can't make it. Um, and there's like a huge, you know, megalodon shark or something that, you know, uh, is there. That's a horrible shark right there. But anyway, he's a happy shark, right? Um, there's a megalodon shark down there. And, and he is just going to town. Why? Because you are right here in his mouth, okay? That's you, dead. You got a limb down here, that's a foot. Um, you know, your arm or, you know, your hand is already in his stomach. You know, there's blood and guts kind of just pouring out of you right here. Like, that's us, right? That's, that's the version of dead you should have in your mind when you hear a scripture passage like this, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. That, this right here, is the dead that he's talking about. Not just mostly dead, almost dead, slightly dead, but dead. So let's keep reading, because this, again, this is how Paul helps people understand kind of this theological understanding of death. You were dead in your transgressions and your sins. This here. Keep going. In which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit whose work in those who are disobedient. It's basically saying there's a kingdom happening down here. There's a kingdom of the power of the air. He's talking about the enemy. And he says, you know, there, that's where you live. That's where you function. That's how you, that's who you were dead, but 
you were functioning there. And all of us lived among them. All of us were there, right? What did it look like? We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following it, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Basically, Paul's saying, uh, you know, not only did we function just like everybody else and we were dead just like everybody else, but because of the fact that we just lived out every pleasure, we lived out all, like we, we sort of deserved this. Like this is, the, this is the state that we just deserved to be in. And then he says, but because of his great love for us, but because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. See the collision. Rich in mercy and love, colliding with dead, hopeless man. It is by grace you have been, what's the word? Yeah, saved. It's by grace you were even saved. It's by his grace. It's, it's the result of this collision that the grace of God shows up and brings salvation to you and to me. And again, not just this is an important visual, we'll get back to it in a minute, but I'm going to give you some theological terms that we don't use very often and try to break them up really quickly for you to help you kind of understand why is it that we struggle in sort of the mess of our faith and sort of the mess of following God? What, why does it still continue to be messy is what, I'm, is what we're going to be talking about in terms of our following of Jesus. Our life continues to feel very messy. I don't know about you. If that's not you, thank you, super Christian, for coming today. But the rest of us, you know, need this, Right? Well, here's some words that hopefully you've heard before. You grew up in the church. Maybe you heard these words before. I'm going to give you a quick definition of these. But it's justification, sanctification, and glorification. And justification is easy. Not easy. That's the wrong word to use, but it's easier to explain. It's our salvation. We talked about this in the first series of the year, if you want to go back and listen to it, called uh, Starting Point. And we talked about the fact that, look, you know, trusting God for what He could do for us to solve the problem that we couldn't solve, like, that's the, our faith in him. He makes us right with God. He justified us by his work on the cross. Like justification is the fact that we've been made right with God fully. Jumping down to glorification, glorification is kind of easy to explain because glorification is eternity with God in a glorified new state. Like glorification is, I'm telling you what, new body, new heaven, new earth, no pain, no sin, no sorrow. Woo! Are you all with me? Like that's glorification. And right now there's only two ways to experience that. We die in our earthly bodies now or Jesus comes back. I've done some studying. That's the only two ways we're going to experience that, okay? We, we, we die here, and we get glorified. That's what God has promised us. Just like that, uh, the thief and the criminal on the cross. Today you're with me in paradise. Glorification. Or we get to experience Jesus' return. And then again, we will still experience glorification. But that middle one, middle one's called sanctification. And some of the words we use to try to describe this is this is the transforming side of the equation. This is the refining side of, the, of, 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 of our theology. This is the process side. This is the side of our, of our theology that 
is the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. You guys know I'm talking about the renewing of our minds, the the changing of the way we think. That's what sanctification is. It is the process of you and I on our faith's journey becoming more and more a mirror and a picture of Jesus, a reflection of our Savior. That's what sanctification really is. And again, we don't necessarily use these words that often, so some people have come up with a very, a very simple, more modern way to say it, and that's already, but not yet. Have you guys ever heard that before? Already, but not yet. That's kind of this idea of, of the fullness of, the, of that theological spectrum, is that we live in a state, a tension, a theological tension of being already given everything, every blessing and every forgiveness and everything by God, but we've not yet experienced all of it. Nod your head if everybody's with me. I don't want to blow any circuits too fast, okay? Like that's, that's what this is. So sanctification is a great way to explain, a great way to, sorry, a great way to explain sanctification is that, well, it's already, but not yet. I'm already fully forgiven of all my sin, but I'm not yet free of my earthly body that sin still resides in. I'm already given every spiritual blessing from above. I've not yet get to receive or fully experience every spiritual blessing from above. Everybody with me? Like that's, that's, that's already, but not yet. And that gives us some handles as again, that tension is where it gets messy for us. This is a great scripture passage that I love the way Paul uses this language to help us again see this and and visualize it. He says, you were dead because of your sins, right? You're dead here. And because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, right? I like to picture sometimes just like a tumor version of me, like a a big full-sized mat tumor. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's there and it's gross and it's ugly and it's messy. But it's, he's like, your sinful nature's not been cut away yet. Like, glorification hasn't happened yet. The fullness of it hasn't happened yet. But you have been saved from death and, and been brought into life. God made you alive with Christ when he forgave your sins. Keep going. He canceled the record of your charges against you and took it away by nailing it to the cross, this act of work that Christ did for us on our behalf. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory on the cross. Like this is, this is where Jesus took the power away, right? This is where Jesus took away the authority. He, took, he shamed them publicly to give us victory over sin, hell, death, and the grave by the work of Christ. But yet, we still live in the messy tension of the already, not yet. And we live in the messiness of our sin and the tension that our sin creates in our faith. And and you know what we do with sin is we try to manage it. That's what we try to do with sin. Everybody in here, we try to manage it. Let me give you a quick example and ask a question. I'm going to have you think of somebody else. Don't think of yourself, okay? Don't think of yourself. Think of somebody else. You know that person that like everything else in their life is pretty, pretty pretty organized and normal, but they have that one thing that's just a total wreck, you know? And think of it physically, like, like for some people, it's a drawer in the kitchen, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, uh, it's a closet she took over in the house in an extra bedroom, right? That's a mess. Uh, it's a garage. Everybody with me? It's a garage. Sometimes for me, it's my car. I'll just be honest. Like it's my car, my car. I can have, I can really take care of almost anything else. My car is a dumpster fire most of the time. Okay, like it's a mess, it's a wreck, 
right? And what do we do with the, those things in our lives? We just tend to ignore them, right? We just tend to ignore them. Look, I've got my brain's thinking about every 15 other things that I'm trying to control and manage, and I don't even pay attention to the trash in my truck or to the, the mess in my garage or to the, you know, until someone else comes in and looks at it, right? Somebody walks into your garage and says, dear Lord, is this Y2K again? Like, what's, what's happening, you know? And you're like, oh, yeah, I'm meant to get around to that. It's, you know, I don't even see it anymore. Everybody with me? Again, think about somebody else. Don't convict yourself. Just think about somebody else, right? But we, you know we do this. And that's, that's just the way in which we tend to have this faulty view of who we are because we just kind of imagine that we're, we're, we, we did need help from God, but we weren't completely helpless. And now we sort of just try to manage our sin problem. And listen, again, I'm telling you, one of the texts I got this week was just basically like, hey, look, man, I'm doing my very best. I'm trying to follow God. I'm, I'm pouring everything out. I'm, you know, I'm following, the, I'm reading through the Bible for the year. I'm, I'm cranking it out. And, and yet, you know, his confession was that, look, you know, sometimes I just, I feel like I take one step forward and then I feel like I take 10 steps back, right? Can anybody else, you know, relate to that? I'm struggling. And I'm like, hey, I get it. And so this passage we're going to read together, this is Romans 7, if you've got to open up your Bible, Romans 7, we're going to read this uh, maybe 10 verses-ish together. This is Paul, and we're looking at a lot of Romans today, but this is Paul talking to the Romans specifically about this already but not yet tension that we struggle to manage because it's messy. If you want to look at, uh, we're going to start at verse 14. And again, hopefully, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation if you've got the ability to maybe pull that up on your phone. So the trouble, we're talking about the trouble with sin, the trouble is not with the law for it's spiritual and good. He's talking about the, the rules aren't the problem, okay? Uh, the, God's ideals and instructions, they're not the issue here. The trouble is with me, right? I'm the problem. Isn't that a new song out right now? Like, like the trouble's me, I'm the problem? Hello? I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself or what I want to do, what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know know that what I'm doing is wrong, then it shows that I agree that the law is good. Basically, if I know that something's wrong and I know it's wrong, like that just shows that the law's got a place. So I'm not the one actually doing the wrong, but it's sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can I just stop here and get everybody to say amen for a minute? Say amen? Okay. And those who didn't say it, you guys are liars. Okay. That's, that's who we are. But if I do what I don't want to do, am I really not, I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It's the sin living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle in my life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me at war with my mind. Very important verse. There's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. In our series, oh, what a messy person. I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? 
Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. Paul's very careful in the words he uses there, but this is, this is Paul's way of trying to describe the already but not yet tension of living this life, of living out our faith, and understanding not only who we are in Christ, but who we are in terms of our sinful nature and what our sinful nature constantly is pulling us towards, constantly is moving us towards. And so, again, today I want to focus on two very simple things. One is just to help us shift our perspective and our perception, shift our position in understanding who we are in Christ And in order to stay there, in order to help us stay in that healthy understanding of who we are, we have to embrace the messy that comes with grace. We have to embrace the messy that comes with following Jesus because our sinful nature is still existent. It's still there. But there's a way to do it by the power of God. Uh, There's a phrase that was coined in the Christian, I don't know, Christian world sometime I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace. It's in some songs and things. You guys all know that phrase, I'm just a sinner? There's an old old hymn, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, old gospel song. I learned this even when I was a kid. And, and, it's, and by the way, this statement is true. <laughs> by the way, there's, there's nothing wrong with this statement. The statement is a, is a true statement. The problem that can arise with this statement is where we allow it to position ourselves in terms of how we identify with God and how we think God sees us in light of our messy. See, we, we think sometimes God sees us like this, and that might not actually be true. Matter of fact, this comes from a very common verse. You guys might all know it, Romans 3.23. This is, you learn this with the Romans road. You know, you learn this early on in your faith, hopefully as a child. Everyone has sinned, right? And we all fall short of God's glorious standard, right? We, like we all, we are all guilty. This is everyone. But not many people know what the rest of the verse, the verse next says. Not many people can keep going, right? Sometimes we know this verse, man, we all fall short, man. I'm just a sinner, right? Saved by grace. That's like a little subtitle tag on, right? Saved by grace. Got to remember to say that part. But here's what it actually says. Yet God, but God, in His grace... He freely made us right in His sight. He freely makes us right in His sight. He does this through Jesus Christ when He freed us from the penalty of our sin. Like like there's a reality here where, where Jesus, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, that's a really great cross right there, we actually are, and you'll see this written in Scripture, we're a new person, right? We are a new creation. We are, we may not have our new bodies yet, but we can put on our new nature. We talked about that last week. And and so we, the transformation has happened that we've gone from death to life in Christ. So where we see ourselves, we have to see both, but where we position ourselves really does make a difference in terms of whether or not we're going to try to manage and navigate our own sin problem. Because if you're just a sinner, saved by grace, then when you sin, 
It feels natural. Then when you sin, it just feels normal. Like you're just a sinner, you know, and you're just trying, you got to try harder and you got to do everything you can to be more holy. Like that's who I am. Hey, we're all sinners and I'm just a sinner. Thank God for the grace that he gave me. You know, that, that's great. But I'm just a sinner and, and I got to try harder. I got to keep going after it. I got to do the best that I can to be more holy. Or we really do see ourselves as sons and daughters of God. We just sang songs about it today. We're no longer slaves to fear. We're, we're children of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're, we have a new, a new creation. We have a new nature that we can call our own because of Christ. And, if, and, and if you, I don't know if you ever saw this or not, but a lot of the letters in the New Testament, especially the prison epistles written by Paul, you know when he starts those letters talking to the church and he says, dear saints of God, right? Oh, holy ones, right? Like that's how he actually addresses the church. But you know what he does in those letters? He says, dear saints of God, dear holy ones, stop sinning, right? Stop sinning. Return to Jesus. Come back to the way that you were taught. Return to him. But the position was different. He didn't, I mean, I'm telling you, just think about how much different it would be if you were reading one of the New Testament letters. I mean, I know James kind of does this, but think about all the other New Testament letters where Paul just, you know, he's, he's, you could tell right away he's frustrated and he's writing them. He's like, dear, you know, dumb, big, fat sinners, what's wrong with you, right? Now I got to spend two chapters figuring out how to talk to you about God again so that I can spend two more chapters trying to figure out how to tell you to live. Well, that's not how Paul wanted us to understand. That's not how God sees us through grace. God sees us as his children, alive with Christ. And I'm telling you, this small shift in position is life-changing when it comes to how you navigate or try to navigate your own sin problem. Because if you're a sinner, then sinning is natural. Sinning is second hand. There's going to be really no excuses. You can just put it in a closet, put it in the garage, leave it in your car. You can just ignore it. But if you really are a, a child of God, if you're a saint, a holy one, can you still sin? Yes. Can you still sin? Yes. But it's not who you are anymore. That's where the conviction will come. It's not who you are anymore. You're not just a sinner anymore. You're now his. You've been bought with a price. And can you still sin? Yes. And when you do, he will call you on it. He will, he will, he will be accountable for it. And he wants you to return to him. And he gives you the power of God to be able to do that. The, one of the ways that I, I see this working out in, in, in Christian faith is, and I'll give this to you very quickly as we close, but um, if you've ever wanted to put some scripture to memory that you think might help you, with this, I'm going to give you this, two verses. I think these two verses are powerful enough all by themselves to, again, help change your position and help you walk forward in faith and in, and in really the, the confidence that, that we need to be walking through in our faith, that we really are children of God, that we really are holy ones, saints of God that, that, that yes, can choose to sin, but we have already victory over sin, death, hell, and the grave because of Jesus. And this is the verse. This is John. This is the Gospel of John. You know, John wrote his gospel when he was a little bit older. 
You know, it's always a good idea to read the Gospel of John from the perspective of like a grandfather kind of writing out wisdom, right? He doesn't write the same way Mark, Matt, uh, Mark quotes Peter and Luke gets all the testimonies and Matthew is writing to the Hebrew people. Like, he doesn't do it the same way. He's, you know, everybody else is like, so-and-so was the son and daughter of so-and-so and blah, 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 blah. You know, that's how most of the Gospels start. And then you've got John who's like, talking about epic battles of light and darkness, like that's chapter one, you know, coming into the world. Again, John paints the picture of heaven and earth colliding and Jesus being at the very center. And then here's where we pick up. In John 1, 16, he says, out of his fullness, talking about Jesus, he said, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Basically, what he was trying to help people understand is, look, the fact that you're living and exist in this world today, you already have experienced God's grace in some way, shape, and form. You have. You've experienced God's grace even if you didn't even know it. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you've experienced grace on top of grace. And then he says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And early on, he says, he tells him again, he says, Jesus was the picture of the fullness of grace and truth. 100% grace, 100% truth. And here's again what I see happening in most, most Christian minds and most Christian walks is that because we're trying to, because we don't understand the position we have and the identity, we try to manage our sin problem. We're trying to manage our mess, our messy. And so we hear about the grace and truth, we understand the grace and truth of God, but, but instead of understanding the fullness of that, we strive for a balance of that. We strive to balance grace and truth. And here's the problem with that. When we try to balance grace and truth, right, grace becomes conditional and truth becomes subjective, Right? Let me, let me show you how this works. I know you've felt this before. I won't call you out. But like, you know how like you're, you're, you're just trying to follow God. You're just doing the best you can. You know, you've received enough grace to cover all your mess. You know, trying to cover you. And you know, you, the things that you believe matter, matter the most. You know what I'm saying? Like all those sins and things that those other people are doing are way more horrible and wrong than your sins. And what's in your garage is not as bad. And so you kind of balance out this grace and truth, you know, in your life. And then somebody comes along, like the thief on the cross, and he didn't even go on a mission trip. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't share his testimony. He might not even known some of the theological uh, things that you've precepts that you've been working so hard to to kind of put to memory. And he gets to go to heaven and didn't do anything. And sometimes some you'll recognize people in your life who who need the grace of God, but it's way more grace than you feel comfortable with, and it starts to pull you out of balance, and you start going, oh, I don't know about that, I don't know about that, I don't know about that. That feels like too much grace. We would never say that out loud. Everybody with me? Because there's no such thing as too much grace. But it starts to feel, uh, or we get really stuck into conversations about what's true and 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 you're wrong and you're wrong and you're wrong and that's wrong and he's wrong and they're wrong and that's wrong and we start really really pushing out the truth and it gets out of balance where there's no more grace at all. And the truth that you're harping about and the truth that you're worried about is selective. It's the, it's the truth, you know, it's the truth you don't worry about. Because you're, you're, that's not your messy. That's someone else's messy. And I'm telling you, just trying to get this balance of grace and truth because we think we can control it because it's less messy for us. 
is not the right approach. It is not helping you at all. You want to get really messy? Jesus, fullness of grace and truth. Fullness of grace and truth. Grace representing that absolute hope. Confidence of what we hope for, assurance of what we have not seen. That is our faith. The fullness of grace and truth means that you are absolutely dead. In, you know, this is exactly who you were. If you do not understand the depths of your own sin and how, and how, how you deserved this, then you do not understand your need for salvation. If you do not understand that you are not only accountable for what you have done, you're going to be accountable for everything in your life. Every thought, every word, every deed, you will stand before Jesus, the judge, and he will hold you accountable. And that should scare you to death. Because that is the truth of who we are. By our own nature, we deserved this. But there's hope. There's grace. Are we fully accountable? Absolutely. Is he fully going to pay the debt and pay the debt for you? Absolutely. Do you fully have to repent and confess your sin before God and know the, deep, the depth and the darkness of your own heart so that you can understand the power of the God for salvation? Yes. Is there power? Is there, is there not enough grace to cover you? <laughs> no such thing. Does it, everybody with me? The fullness of grace and truth is going to be where that tension lives, that messy lives for us. But I'm telling you, if you can change your position, if you can get yourself an understanding who you are in terms of a child of God, not just a sinner saved by grace, and you can hold on to the full bore, full 100% grace and truth of God, then that is the place of revival. That is the place where God changes hearts. That is the place where, where you can fall on your knees and cry out and confess to God how much you don't deserve him. All the while, he can fill your heart with hope and joy because even though you do not deserve him, you are so blessed that you get him. We are so honored and blessed to receive him. And a revival can happen in you every day. Revival can happen. The place of revival happens in your mess. Stop trying to hide your mess or ignore your mess. Stop trying to manage your messy. That is where revival happens. That is where you get to experience the grace and mercy and holiness and unfailing love of God and acknowledging at the same time that you were dead in your transgressions and sins and you didn't deserve it. And when those collide, the grace and truth come out. Let me give you this passage. I'm going to close this up with this passage again. Romans 8. You remember Paul? He says in Romans 7, we just read it together. It's like, who can save me from this miserable life? You know, thank God it's Jesus. He starts verse eight, chapter 8 by saying, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Right? Because we understand our position. We understand who we are. In him. And later on, he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think only about sinful things. But yet those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. Keep going. Letting your sinful nature control your, control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. 
right? It never obeyed God's laws. It never will. We will never naturally drift towards God. Our natural drift, because that sinful man exists, is always to us. It's always to sin. He keeps going and says, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can't please God. But you, he's talking to the church, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. This is Paul's way of helping not only understand the mess, but understand that every day and every moment, there's somebody at the controls. There's somebody controlling your mind. There's somebody controlling your life. There's somebody, somebody at the controls controlling something. And the question is, and you know, as we deal with this in the next few weeks over our messy, like who's in control? Who have you surrendered the controls of your life to? If the Spirit of God is living in you, He gets first pick. He's there. Can you still choose to sin? Of course you can. Of course you will. But that's why we have grace. The fullness of truth and the fullness of grace is the only way to help us navigate and live in that tension of the already but not yet. And I got news for you. This is where we're going next week. I got news for you. If you think this is hard, like if you're, if you're super struggling with this, okay, now it's okay if you are, but if you think our mess is messy, man, wait, do you start dealing with other people's messy? You know what I'm saying? Like, good luck, loving, good luck loving your spouse in their mess. You don't even have proper view and understanding of your own mess. So if you think your mess is messy, next week we're going to talk about, man, what's it look like when you've got to now love others in their messy? What's it look like when you've got to live out missionally that call to love your neighbor as yourself? And we're going to dive into that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and the way it challenges us. God, I'm just, my prayer is simple today, that everyone here listening here would just make a, a shift in the position that they see themselves, not simply a sinner who sins naturally and is just trying harder to be a Christian, but they see themselves as a holy one, a saint, an heir with Christ, a new creation in you, and that if they would just fully accept the grace that you've given and fully live in the truth and understanding of how accountable we are with our life, that God, you can help us by your spirit, not try to manage the sin and messiness of our life, but try to just live through the messiness, knowing that it's there, but knowing that your grace is seen in it, that your grace at work in our mess is what this world needs to see. But it's only by your power and your spirit that we can do that, that we can live and make those kind of changes. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we're able to pray it. So we pray it in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.